Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the LKM Co Youth and Education podcast. In this episode, it's a bit of a departure. I'm talking to my colleague, Eleanor Bernardes, and Eleanor is a senior associate, a senior associate at LKM Co. She's got a, bright, a broad range of expertise across education, the arts and business development, and she really specialises in organisational change and project management. So Eleanor does a lot of work with organisations um, kind of in the private sector, public sector um, and third sector, looking at helping them to improve what they do so that it can impact young people. Um, before coming to work at LKM Co, Eleanor was a, a literacy, cord- literacy coordinator at RSA Academy in Tipton. Um, and she also has a background as an operations manager for a microbrewery and also for an international general manager for an international theatre company. So she brings a wide range of experience. Eleanor, on her bio, says that she never knowingly turns down an opportunity to network, so do get in touch. And that's precisely the reason why I'm talking to Eleanor today. Um, it's because she's, I always think of her as a kind of resident expert in networking and building professional relationships. So do listen on to this episode if you're interested about networking and how to do it in a way that doesn't feel icky. And it's really about building long-term relationships, and we cover quite a lot of ground in this, including you know, a strategic approach to developing a network, how to develop networks that are outside of your general echo chamber, inclusive networks, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a really, really fascinating discussion. So, do enjoy. LKM co-believe society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Can we listen to it now? Okay, so here we are for the Youth and Education podcast, LKM Co. And I'm sitting here with my lovely colleague, Eleanor. Um, how do I say your surname? Bernardi's. Bernardi's. Yeah. Okay, I never <laughs> use it. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about uh, something that many people kind of secretly hate but know they should do in a professional context, which mm-hmm. is networking. Um, so first off, Eleanor, um, and the reason I'm talking to Eleanor is because I consider her as one of our kind of resident experts in, in networking <laughs> in our team. Um, she's really good at kind of getting to know people and uh, spotting interesting people and that kind of thing, um, professionally and personally. So uh, it's an area that I'm always interested in in terms of relationships, um, but I thought we should talk about it and it might be useful for people. Great. Okay, so what would you define as networking? So networking is how you create the kind of the context and the groups of people that you surround yourself with and I think you have both the professional ones the people that are good for work but we also have our personal networks um, and kind of the differences and the similarities between those are quite important when we think about it. Okay so um, as a bit of a diversion you know why is networking important to the work that we do and, and our role and yours particularly? So at LKMCO, a lot of our work comes from helping organisations understand how they can be more effective. Um, and that often comes by putting them in contact with other people, seeing what else is happening in the field. Also, um, helping them to look outside the box a little bit more at other things that could like really support their work. 
So I find a lot of my work is actually bridging organisations who might come to us because they need specific support um, with, with a certain activity, but actually it's easy to see someone else is doing it in the field more effectively or as effectively and that they, they would be better placed to help each other. But then also for us, there is the kind of getting ourselves out there and known. We're still quite a small team, believe it or not, um, and I think we have quite a big punch and a lot of that comes down to actually... Um, what, how we get out there and we get our message across and we make sure people know our work and what we're doing. Yeah, and you, you've got an interesting background, probably the most creative out of all the team, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you started off kind of in, in theatres and event management, right? And yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. So I trained as an actress, um, worked uh, in physical theatre for many years, did the proper kind of drama school route, um, and then when I decided that physical theatre was never going to change the world, uh, well, not in the way I wanted it to, um, I left. <laughs> and at the time, like, all out-of-work actresses was working as a waitress in a, <laughs> a big, in a big um, microbrewery and restaurant. Oh, big microbrewery. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. Well, yeah, OK. <laughs> um, anyway... Within six months, I was general manager of the flagship store in London, um, and discovering I was quite good at business was as much of a surprise to me as it was to anyone else. <laughs> it meant that I did spend five or six years running um, big hospitality organisations, running events for people, um, kind of working in the sector, generally making sure that kind of what we did was as excellent as it could be. Um, and then for me, the real change was when the economy crashed in 2008, it was a really good chance for me to refocus on what I wanted to do with my life. And what I'd always loved when I was um, in theatre was teaching as well. So that's when I retrained to teach um, and started working at the RSA Academy in Tipton when we were doing opening minds and gave me a good kind of like involvement with a, a much more kind of creative way of doing curriculum design um, and also some work with the IB when they were launching their new kind of career-related certificate. IB is in the International Baccalaureate. Yes, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So that's my background. No, okay. <laughs> no, it's good. So the reason why I thought it would be interesting mm-hmm. to kind of explore that for people is, you know, the thread that I see through your career is mm-hmm. people and relationships. So it's like, you know, actors and actresses don't get booked unless they kind of have relationships with yeah. people and they have to work with people on set or yeah. on stage or whatever. Then obviously you were in hospitality and that's all about people and that yeah. kind of thing and you were successful in that. Then obviously teaching is about people and yeah. now your role with us is very much about making relationships and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I thought that was you know, an interesting uh, into why mm-hmm. relationships are important to you. Definitely. And I would add that although it's something that has always been important to me, it's not something that I've always found easy. Um, so very much it's something I've had to work at and kind of being able to practice being in these situations I think is something that you have to give a lot of time for. Yeah and I think it's really important that you mention that because um, uh, so I'm somebody who people tell me that um, I'm easy to get on with mm-hmm. and that uh, you know I don't find it massively difficult to make friends that kind of thing but I'm also something of a recluse which is odd mm-hmm. on people. <laughs> I'm quite happy sitting in my house and reading the book to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, so the concept of networking as people think you know like go to an event give out your business card that that makes me want to be just ill and jump out of a window (laughs) so so I think I am learning to reframe what it is uh in something that's more useful and just kind of pleasurable because I think I think it's really important we were talking earlier about how it's important to be authentic so do you want to kind of take us through um what's helped you to be someone who's better at professional building those professional relationships and what's helped yeah, so I think to begin with, 
um, I was very conscious about talking to people I didn't know. And I kind of was quite aware from early on that it was important because I often found myself in situations where I was with perfect strangers and would have to kind of make a go of it very quickly. Um, so it was really for me trying to work out how to do that without wanting to throw myself out of a window, as you put it. Yeah. Um, so I think when you approach a networking situation and what you're saying when people think, oh, they're going to a conference and they're going to have to see how they're going to get the most out of it and it's like exchanging business cards, it's actually the wrong way to do it because then you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and you're putting yourself into situations where actually you can't be authentic because you're not going to be relaxed and you're not going to be creating like the best version of you for people wanting to interact with. So I think one of the earliest things that I learned about networking was that people really want to engage with you when you make them feel at ease. So everyone else is just as worried as you are at networking, especially in events where you don't know anybody or if you've gone to specific networking events, which are almost worse because people are like, oh, I'm here to make friends or to make these contacts. So being someone that can make people feel at ease is very important, but there's no way you can do that if you're actually sitting there and you're so nervous you can barely remember your own name. So it's how you can kind of manage that really. Um, and for me, that's been very much about doing my preparation. So if I'm going to meet anybody for anything, I want to know a little bit about them. So if you're doing kind of um, networking with individuals, then that's easy because you can do a little bit of background reading, even if you're just checking their Twitter account and seeing what they're talking yeah, about at the moment. LinkedIn, LinkedIn makes it yeah, super exactly. easy these days. You get plenty of information on things they're currently working on and interest in that you can talk about. It's a bit different if you're turning up to an event and I'd say then the best way to do it, especially big events these days, we, we get a lot of kind of the big teacher events where you get lots of people turning up and you're never really quite sure who's going to be there. So just have a think about who are the people you'd most like to talk to. Is it people that are talking about teacher CPD at the moment or is it people who are doing some work in kind of young people's mental health? And if you kind of work around those themes, it'll give you a good idea to be able to talk to people who are going to be of interest to you at that time and you can actually have genuine conversations with I'd then say when you get into that kind of face-to-face -face point, so you've gone over to somebody and you're like, hi, I know you're from Twitter, or I saw you were coming to this event, or whatever it might be. Like, I generally make a very quick decision about whether or not there's somebody who responds best to talking about themselves or listening to somebody else talk. So it's easy to kind of, I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second that all people just boil down into these two different times but from a networking perspective it's quite easy to then say okay this person's going to be more comfortable if I just start talking about what I'm doing what I'm currently interested in and then ask questions to go along to see where that common ground is but sometimes you might find actually the easiest way to help someone feel relaxed is to ask those questions which allow them to tell you the story of why they're there and to give you the information about what they're currently interested in mm. and normally once you've got off to a good start and you've been talking to someone for two or three minutes you'll both feel much more relaxed and then you'll be able to have a really kind of valuable conversation with them. And I think um, people have their own style of doing that. So for me, naturally, mm -hmm. uh, I would tend to ask something that may be nothing at all to do with work because mm -hmm. I'm that kind of random person. Yeah. <laughs> so it might be that they are wearing an amazing red shirt yeah. or something like that. Or I happen to notice getting the hot dog or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Like it's, it's more those kind of individual connections and then people yeah. are really easy to talk about. Definitely. Talk to you about. Uh, and as an example of that, so... I sometimes also still feel totally out of my depth when I go to certain events. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at an event where I was with people that weren't in education and youth generally. They were all doing very different things. It was late. Um, there were some very high-profile people there. 
And I actually found myself talking to somebody who had three children. And so we were having those conversations about kids and going, oh, how did you make the decision to have number three? And actually through just feeling relaxed and in good conversation with that person, I was then able to get introduced to lots of other people there and the conversations flowed after that. So it's finding that kind of common ground in the areas of interest aren't necessarily always the first things that you want to put out there. Very much so. And I think, um, you know, we might touch on it a bit later, but uh, kind of networking specifically for people who are like minorities or mm. not the usual in a particular field or something like that. And I think the key there is really about finding some kind of commonality. Yeah. Once you found a commonality with somebody, then it's fairly easy to talk to them. And it yeah. could be anything. So, you know, you may be the only man at a woman-only event yeah. or vice versa or whatever it is. Um, but actually, you know, there are lots of things that maybe you both support Arsenal. Yeah. Maybe you both love, I don't know what you love, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. But, you yeah. know, that, that kind of thing. Maybe you're both from Tipton. Yeah. <laughs> or Wolverhampton, I don't yeah. know, whatever it is, and that kind of thing. So as a military wife... We move house every 18 months to two years. Yeah, and so there's another big side to how I network, which actually comes to every time you move house with two young children, you're into an entirely new community where you don't need, know anybody and you need to make friends very quickly. And so you need to find that common ground. And everyone else is normally in a very similar boat, so they're willing to be open. But it's very important that if, I've, if my kids are in nursery and I'm two hours away at a meeting somewhere... I've got someone with a relationship that's so well developed, I can phone up and go, my train's cancelled, I really need help to go and get my kids. And so actually finding that common ground and building on it is something that's really important in those personal relationships too. No, it's interesting you say that actually, because um, uh, it only just occurred to me, but when I was in secondary school, primary school, I went to maybe five or six different schools um, for various reasons. And uh, I can't think of a single school that I started with everybody else. Mm-hmm. So... Um, went to two or three primary schools and in my secondary schools definitely I started one of them because I moved boroughs mm-hmm. uh, so from a school uh, a borough where they had middle schools to secondary schools so I started halfway through year seven mm-hmm. um, then my next secondary school uh, my parents wanted to go to a grammar school so I started that halfway through like at the end of year nine or something like that so I've had to adjust to getting to know people very very quickly when I haven't yeah. been you know there for the formative relationships that everybody else has had yeah. which I hadn't really thought about before but maybe that's why I don't feel massively stressed about some of this stuff because yeah. I'm used to having to do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you think about it like that. Well, my three-and-a-half-year-old is in her fourth nursery, so I'm hoping that plays out for her as she gets oh, older wow. too. <laughs> I mean, of course, I think you guys are moving. She's moving too, yeah. right? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Okay, so um, you, when we were having a chat beforehand, you mentioned a really interesting point about, um, and I think this goes to the heart of why people find networking a bit icky, mm-hmm. which is um, kind of, I think you called it, networking for now versus networking for the future but I think a lot of people I know this is something that I personally don't like yeah. the connotations of a very transactional nature so it's like going to meet someone so they can do something for me now or whatever it is and it yeah. doesn't feel nice um, can you talk a little bit more about that please yeah so I think that there's different reasons why you would network and actually to think of them in different ways is actually quite useful mm. so what you're referring to there is very much that kind of networking for business development which is often how we see it as in like you want to meet someone specifically to get something out of the relationship and how do you manage that um and actually i think the reason people find it icky is it's quite manipulative isn't it it's like you turn up and you say i'd really like to talk to you about x i think we're interested too let's see what's going on and when we were planning for this i was thinking gosh you know how can we talk about this without sounding super manipulative but actually last week i was 
um, a co-organiser at a woman-ed event. And one of the things that came up there was about how women often tend to be referred to as being manipulative um, for how they can get what they want. And, I was, and they were thinking, actually, maybe we need to kind of change the language and the way people think about it, because is it actually a negative thing to be able to manage a, manage a meeting, manage a situation so that you actually get something out of it as well as a productive relationship? So I think sometimes people feel it's icky because it has all of those negative connotations, but actually, you know, if it's going to lead to really good outcomes for you and the other person there, then actually it's a really positive thing to be doing. Um, but I think apart from that as well, there's networking not just for getting something out. There's networking for you as yourself. Uh, and that's whether you're thinking about moving on and looking for another job, but also for staying where you are. And I've also started to think of this in terms of kind of networking for well-being. And yes. like the value that you can get out of extending those networks just to make yourself feel better about where you are and to know you've got a more supportive network around you. And I think sometimes, actually, if you're new to networking or you want to start building your network, starting there might be a lot easier. Um, and so when I talk about networking for well-being, it's kind of, no matter what you're doing, whether you're working in a school or if you're working in a charity, we tend to get very involved in our work and the young people we work with, all the teams around us. And so actually having people outside of the organisation to turn to with specific questions and specific asks or just for a bit of downtime and a different conversation to bring something else in is actually really valuable. But also those are the people you can lean on if you need help and support and you don't feel you can turn around to your line manager or to one of your colleagues and say, oh, I really need some more like, help to do this, whatever it might be. Um, having somebody external will make you feel a bit more confident in actually reaching out and asking for that help too. And then also just the value of having that kind of outside-in approach. So I think no matter where you are, organisations grow when they're able to bring in key learning and knowledge and information from outside of themselves. And actually, if you're being one of the key people bringing that into, then that makes you even more valuable member of the team. Mm. So there's definitely value there for what it is. And I think as you were talking, the thing I kind of wrote down was how men network. So at the risk of being terribly sexist, but I hope people can understand what I'm trying to say. So... Um, and it was to do with the manipulation point. So traditionally speaking, the way that we often think um, that men have networked is via shared interests. So, you know, the typical thing is um, executives who go and play golf together mm-hmm. or they might go to a rugby match together or football, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So in that context, you're building a relationship with somebody who likes to do the same thing that you like to do. Yeah. And then, of course, you think about that person when a deal comes up because you know and you trust them and you've done yeah. many things together um, and that's a quite an organic thing now the, the issue with it is that uh, it can be exclusionary because not everyone's invited to those games yeah. but the point being it's people with a shared interest right yeah. um, which doesn't feel manipulative it just feels like someone yeah. is your friend or your yeah. co- you know a mate basically and I think that's maybe the um, issue with why sometimes like women or minorities may feel a mm. bit um it feels more manipulative because for whatever reason they might not be part of that group or something like that. Maybe they have less time, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering what you think about that. It's just come up, I was just thinking as you, as you said it, basically. So I mentioned our Women Ed event last week, Difficult yes. Women, and we were lucky that Maya Corica gave our um, keynote there. And so she talks extensively about actually the importance of networking for women when you're looking at career progression. And she um, also referred quite heavily to the work of Herminia Ibarra, from the LBS, London Business School, mm. and her work around strategic networks. And so one of the key findings here is that actually the way that women and men work 
network is very different. So men tend to have their personal and professional networks together. Internet. So they will be playing tennis, playing whatever they're doing, going out to the bar with people they work with and developing those relationships which are going to play out for them further down the line. Whereas women tend to have their work network and then they have their social network. And actually the two things very rarely meet. So the, the, firstly, the investment of whether investing their time is going to be different as well. But also because of that, for a woman, if, if you need to go and pick your kids up or you're particularly tired or someone's been ill at home, the first thing you're going to cut out of your diary is going to be a networking event and you're going to get home to the family often or to go and support what you need to with your children. Um, and because that tends to be this kind of classic divide, it means that what women aren't getting is that really personal connection with the work colleagues who are then going to basically lobby for them and with their next promotion round and people saying, yeah, they're going to be perfect for the job because people don't even don't know, know them don't. that well. I had that as feedback once, actually. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, so I was about to go for a promotion, which I, eventually I did get, actually, but the point was... Um, uh, well, my boss at the time said oh uh, we think that you're really good but people feel like they don't really know you and what had happened at the time it was around the time that our first son was born mm-hmm. and so I'd had to just be super ruthless with my time mm-hmm. um, so I spent a lot of my lunch breaks and um, break times working and getting everything done so that I could go home on time mm-hmm. and get everything ready and sorted out with my, fa- my family life which was my priority at the time uh, but so although I was good at my job Mm-hmm. Um, people didn't feel that they had a, a sense of who I am and I think that is a you know for me personally that's always a potential danger once people get to know me it's fine exactly. but I can be quite appear to be quite uh, not standoffish which is what I mean kind of yeah. um, very focused yeah. bang and uh, actually that's not what it is that yeah. gets you further in your career you have to be yeah. good but you also have to know people as well yeah. um, which is something that I've learned as I've got older definitely but then I also think that we shouldn't just keep doing that because it's a status quo there is a certain amount that actually needs to change as well um so i remember watching an interview with a woman who worked in in a bank i think and in the interview they said to her how did you get so far you're very young how did you get promoted so quickly and she said because when everyone else was going out to a strip club on a friday night i wasn't squeamish about going with them And I was like, there's just so much wrong with that. So yes, we should start to try and network and get ourselves known because that's how we, as women, can kind of level the playing ground. But actually, we need to kind of change the playing ground a little bit because if that's what's expected of people to get ahead, then that's just not fair and that's not equity. No. Well, it's interesting, actually, because I realised that my skill is talking to people Mm one-to-one. So that's part of why I do the podcast. Obviously, we do it in the team, but also other interesting people I want to meet. It's a great way to have a long-form conversation with people. Yeah. (laughs) In a way that I like. Love uh, it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's fine. (laughs) It works very well. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's 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 an interesting one. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Oh, okay. I've written down. There's two things. Yeah. Following on what you said, I have written something down, but one of them was ah. Okay, so you uh, you might not like me for saying this. Okay. I wonder sometimes. I think the value of. Um, networks like Women Ed or you know anything like that so Women in Tech or those kind of things are really useful but in the current climate where generally speaking men are decision makers or if you might want to say white people are decision makers if you're mm-hmm. talking about black networks or um, BME networks there I feel as a visible minority that there is a danger sometimes of sometimes you have to talk to the people who are in power right mm-hmm. so there's a space for those networks but also how can we get lots of different people to be able to 
make connections outside of their networks mm-hmm. because ultimately people in power mm-hmm. may not look like you so you have to understand how you can make links with those people wondering about your thoughts yeah so I think from from what you're saying that there's two different approaches to this about the idea about how we change the people in power and there's that kind of top down thing about what I was just saying about you know if the playing ground isn't level we need to change the playing ground but actually, a lot of the real change is going to come from a grassroots level, and that's going to come from having a majority of people feeling that change is necessary and reaching out and making those decisions, managing up, however they're doing, calling for different changes. And so, yes, actually giving people access to the broadest possible networks is really valuable. And so how do we reach out to those networks? Because this is a problem, I think, that we see all over the place about... No, no matter kind of what area of society you're looking at, is people actually flock to people that look like themselves because that's where they feel this comfort. So I think if you're taking a very strategic approach to developing your network, there's easy ways that you can kind of overcome this because it's quite easy to do an audit of who your kind of close friends are and work out if it's diverse enough to work out. And I don't just mean diverse in terms of race or um, I, I mean also in terms of thinking, the background people are going to come and the new ideas they're going to bring to you. So getting out of your echo chamber is really important and meeting people who wouldn't normally be on your radar. And I think the more people who do this and the more that networks become inclusive in that way and give people access to different different thinking, different backgrounds, then we're all going to kind of like really gain from the value of it. So I think a couple of ways to do it are firstly, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of it from Twitter. So Twitter can be great for building networks with people that you know you share similar interests with already but actually you've got to kind of be conscious that it is a bit of an echo chamber so it's quite hard to push yourself out of your everyday thinking um, but what twitter does give you is access to an awful lot of events and let you know what's going on in the world so i'd suggest if you're making that decision that you want to expand those networks further going to events specifically and looking for people who are people that you've never seen before who are from different groups who are talking about different things is a really good place to start and not just kind of sitting with the people that you know you've got something in common with and then also I can't recommend enough going for something actually quite formal like there's an app called Shaper I don't know if I say this I hope it's not going to be an advert for Shaper on the <laughs> but yeah so Shaper is like a proper professional networking tool which means that that when you're putting yourself out there on it and you're connecting with people, everyone knows that out there, very openly saying they want to expand their networks. So it already gets rid of that, oh, should I talk to them, should I not talk to them? So you already know that everyone's there for the same reason. So we've laughed at you about this, but you've met some interesting people, haven't you? I love it. I do my 20 swipes a day. Right, I'm going to set the scene a little bit. You can all go and download it afterwards. But basically, it looks like Tinder, but for a professional network. So every morning, Shaper sends you... Ella's married, by the way, guys. (laughs) (laughs) 20 people... And you can swipe left or right on them. And it gives them a little bit of a bio and it gives you a photograph and it kind of tells you what kind of networking they want to do. And you can work out if you want to meet them. Networking. Okay. (laughs) Um, But what it's really good for is actually looking at the other people who are out there and want to meet people, especially if you're just thinking, okay, I've got some time in London. I want to meet two or three new people this month or in the next three months who are outside of my normal realm. Um, for me, it's people who aren't necessarily working in education and youth already, but mm. I can see from their interest that we'd have overlap, especially around some specific policy areas. Um, and that sounded really geeky, sorry. <laughs> Do not apologise for geekiness. Uh, yeah. 
Um, but this is once, the place for it. <laughs> once you've found them and connected with them, then they can put you in touch with other people too. And I found that a really good way of actually expanding my networks out of my echo chamber. So um, what you said there, I want to pick up on that, actually. I've written down in my notes, secondary connections. So yeah. I was uh, listening to something a while ago, I can't remember what it was, but they were saying, actually, the real value of your network is not your immediate network, because generally speaking, they're quite mm-hmm. similar to you, right? Um, it's more the connections that they have. Yep. Um, and they are the people who connect you with interesting people, which is why I wanted to pick up what you just said. Definitely. The second, and, and I think, you know, in my own personal experience, that is true. I, I used to feel quite weird about maybe asking something or somebody who I kind of didn't exactly know or they were more mm-hmm. of an acquaintance but people are extremely generous yeah um, and also if I think about it the other way around if people ask me for stuff who mm-hmm. I have a random connection with I'm more than happy to help them definitely and I think that's key as well actually that there are some people that I end up asking more from than I give to but you need to stay aware of that and then maybe you know send them a bottle of wine at Christmas or sometimes um, because Actually, the key to having a really good network isn't just the meet and greet, it's actually how you manage that long term and having people where you feel confident enough to say, I'm going to ask quite a big ask of this person maybe and I know that if they ask me, I'd do the same back. So it's kind of knowing that you've got that give and take. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I... So a couple of weeks ago, um, someone who I used to work with... How many years ago now? Several years ago. Probably seven or eight years ago, contacted me and we see each other... Maybe once a year, maybe once every couple of years. I haven't seen her for a couple of years, I think. Um, and she was saying that she wanted to return to teaching and uh, various other bits and pieces. And she was actually asking, how should I approach schools? Basically, mm-hmm. that was the actual question she asked me. So I was like, oh, well, you know, um, you teach maths and math teachers in demand. You shouldn't find it massively hard. So have you tried XYZ? Then I was like, oh, by the way, I might, you know, uh, there's a school I used to work at uh, and they quite often are looking for people and they're really good. I recommend them. I enjoyed working there. So I called up the person who used to be my boss. So I haven't worked with that person for at least five years. And I was like, oh, um, have you guys got any vacancies at the moment? Like I know sometimes you do stuff. And then she was like, well, we haven't, but we might want to have someone actually. What do they teach? And as it happened, uh, she sent me a text a couple of days ago saying that they'd Mm -hmm. appointed and they now have a job, which was wonderful. Yeah. Um, Just from a very random thing for someone I haven't seen for probably about two years and was more than happy to connect to somebody. And the other person I haven't seen for six years. Excellent. Yeah. And that's, that's a great example of why it's useful. And also kind of that kind of keeping those contacts warm years down the line just the odd message to say hey how are you doing your fancy coffee sometime isn't going to take up much time and doesn't take much effort but means that you you're keeping your network kind of quite wide and yeah yeah i've probably you know like my old boss probably sends like a text once a year mm-hmm. um actually likes bruce springsteen so whenever i see a random bruce springsteen thing i'm just like oh i saw that and i thought of you and that was it's Great. that random yeah. <laughs> so but yeah it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. i think um to that point sometimes people Okay, so uh, one of our colleagues was saying that it's just meeting people and being nice and making friends. And I was like, I don't know if it is that, because um, basically I think sometimes people worry about how they can maintain that relationship. So do you have any views about that? Like, how can you maintain a relationship that's not exactly a friendship, it could become Mm -hmm. one, but is more of a peripheral relationship do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, how yeah. do you maintain that over time without yeah. being stalkerish <laughs> and weird yeah. and just overloading people? Yeah. So I think there's a few things in there. Um, the one thing about what's networking is just making friends and being nice to people. 
can be, but that just doesn't really play true for those kind of helpful relationships that you have. And I'd say, when I talk to people and they go, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to talk to this person? What am I going to do? Even if they've had a really great conversation out of it and they leave it and they say, great, it's been great chatting to you. Let's stay in touch. That already is creating problems further down the line. So I'd say when you finish that first conversation, you want to be a little bit clearer about actually what this is going to look in the future because that makes maintaining that relationship a lot easier. So there's always kind of four things that I ask myself towards the end of a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I want to look firstly about anything that we can do together. Now, it could be a work thing. You know, you could leave. It's been a great meeting. Go, oh, we really need to do this project together. Let's get it off the ground. But it could also be you've talked about how much you love musical theatre and you're like, yeah, let's go and see the Book of Mormon together. (laughs) (laughs) Something that you can do together. And then within that, you've also got the, what can this person do for me? Can you say, oh, it would be really helpful if you could just come into my school and chat to the NQTs I've got with me or my year eight stuff or, you know, something else like that. And equally, what can I do for them? And sometimes that's an easier thing to think of as you go through. But actually, there's a really key question that's been coming up in, in a, few of the com- a few of the topics we just talked about now. And that's actually the who else can I connect you with bit. And if you can be the bridger between somebody who might be working more specifically closely related to the person you're chatting to, put them in touch. That's a great start that actually then when you want to pick up the relationship a little bit further down the line, you can go, hey, you know, I sent through this introduction to so-and-so. How did it go? I'm keen to hear more about what's going on. I think that's a really useful point, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing I'd like to add on that, if you're the person suggesting the contact, uh, uh, ask people's permission beforehand. Yeah, Um, definitely. Because uh, sometimes you can suddenly have a load of things to do that yeah. You didn't even meet the people, yeah. <laughs> and it's quite awkward to say, no, sorry, I can't do that. So, yeah, yeah check with both people that it's okay putting them in contact. So it's an extra email from yeah. you, but people always appreciate it. Definitely. Mm. And, I mean, people listening to this, there are certain people who know that they're my go-to connections. No. <laughs> and they always get that message on Twitter going, just met someone that you will love, can I send through this intro? And a couple of lines about why you're going to love them is always helpful too. Um, but, yeah... And it's those kind of things where you you are supporting people to be better at what they're doing that are really going to be valuable to them when you want to talk to them further down the line. Yeah, I think so. That's some really, really helpful. Just, ah, one thing that we haven't covered mm-hmm. was sponsorship, power okay. of sponsorship. Yeah. All right, great. So this is something that I've only really come to understand kind of since Christmas onwards. And it goes back to what I was talking about, about um, what Dr. Mayor Corica was discussing about female progression. And so... When we think about networking, quite often people can leave these conversations and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we kind of like was a little bit coachy, we kind of got a little bit of information, we, we helped each other, maybe they're going to be a mental relationship further down the line. These are the kind of things people often think when they're making new relationships. And actually what Dr. Corrick is talking about is that the research shows when a woman decides that she wants progression at work, the first thing that gets offered to her is usually coaching or mentoring. And so coaching and mentoring is designed to make you better at your work. But the difference between women and men, as we talked about earlier, with kind of what those networks mean and being put forward for jobs, is that actually by the time you get out there to put your head above the parapet and say, I'm ready for progression, getting better at your job generally isn't the problem. It's about getting seen and getting known. And so when women want to progress at work, rather than saying you need a mentor or you need a coach, what they really need is a sponsor. 
And a sponsor is somebody to advocate for them, to fight their corner, to say, you know what, this person would be brilliant for this job. Don't even look at anybody else. Or even to look further afield and say outside the organisation, you know, there's a project coming on, you need to talk to this person, they would be really valuable to the research that you're doing. And this element of sponsorship is a different relationship. So are they like an advocate of some sort? Is it more that kind of approach? Yeah, so mm. really kind of fighting their corner and pushing them forward. So I think... Actually, when I when I understood the kind of theory around sponsorship, it's something that I think I I kind of do instinctively when I chat with organisations or I have those meetings with people and think, you know, there's not much I can do for you right now, but actually I think what you're doing is brilliant and I'm going to tell everyone how brilliant it is. And so it doesn't have to be explicit. It doesn't have to be formal. It's just that idea of people that you've met, information you've got about them, using that to then say, this person's doing great stuff. What can I do to support them? And so actually, if you look at your networks in terms of who would be a great sponsor for me, who can I sponsor? Because I think that kind of two-way street is really important. And that's actually going to help people and yourself to actually get a better profile to be known more in the field and to actually make that progress that you might be looking for at work yeah I think um, I've definitely had that in my career um, wouldn't have known what it was called but I definitely had that and not, like you're saying also mm-hmm. done that for people as well mm-hmm. uh, and I think what we said earlier about the kind of connecting people sometimes that is definitely, part of yeah. you're doing it informally and sporadically and I think that might be my final point would be uh, generally speaking um people that you're going to want to network with and who are interesting people are also super busy so don't worry yeah. about having to it's not in the same way as like your best friend where you've got to keep up with them all the yeah. time it's not like that you know a couple of times a year mm-hmm. or whatever it is totally fine because people are getting on with their lives yeah. <laughs> and it's you know i think the thing that can put people off is they think it has to be this massively ongoing thing mm-hmm. and you're maintaining these relationships with tens or hundreds of people and that's just not possible to do yeah um so yeah it's more the value that's added rather than the frequency definitely i think is the importance so it's like you said about sending your old boss kind of messages about who was it bruce 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 yeah (laughs) those things are really helpful so just knowing who's there knowing their interests and sending them an occasional article something they might be interested in or with us a report if we publish or a podcast in an area that might be interested in just that kind of really light touch stuff because when there's obvious ways that you can work together, then you can kind of pull on that relationship then. But other than that, people people are all busy and just that general being in touch, getting a high is, is really important. Very much so, thank you. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would like to add? Uh, no, just really to go over my must-dos because this is what I get asked most often when people go, oh God, I feel really awkward, what can I do? And just keep in mind, you've got to be authentic. So there's no point pretending to be someone else or coming up with something that you don't really believe in when you meet people and just really focusing on putting other people at their ease when you meet them. And I think if you get those two things done, then all meetings are going to go well for you. Yeah, it's interesting. Seeing here, I was reflecting that I'm probably much better at networking than I originally thought I was when I'm actually sitting there. um, But I think I tend to apply it in random situations. Mm -hmm. So uh, about seven or eight years ago I took up photography Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything at all and I wanted to get to know photographers so um, I kind of went through a few uh, meetups and chatted Mm -hmm. to people and then I had the opportunity to go to Australia for a bit and uh, Hong Kong I didn't know anyone I was travelling on my own to meet a friend Um, and then because I'd known a few people via the photography Mm -hmm. and we'd been chatting at the time it would have been Facebook would have been the big Mm -hmm. social network so we did that and um, why I was in Hong Kong for four days and somebody who I'd got to know a few months before via photography basically took me around Hong Kong 
uh, looked after me really, really well, um, took me to kind of like bits where just like the Chinese people went to and all that kind of thing. And in essence, I'd been networking without even really realising it. And I had the same thing in Sydney as well when I went there. And it was, again, like the shared stuff and also being useful, mm-hmm. um, which I hadn't really thought of in that way. But yeah. yeah. It was interesting. Thank you, Anna. That was a really interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. No, nah, it's good. Um, that's it, guys. Bye. Hey, people. I love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Two, share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.